It is so good to be here, those watching online. Thank you for joining us. I, I truly hope that you have a good reason why you're watching online and not here. <laughs> it is always a joy to be in God's house, to worship Him, to praise Him. When we lift up His name, when we exalt His word and His name, He shows up. And that's why it is so good to look into God's Word. I'm asked to com complete a series that we, that we began several, several weeks ago, being honest to God. And this morning my prayer is that we would be honest to God, not just as we conclude the service, but for the rest of our lives we would learn the habit of being honest to God. And this morning, let me ask you, how is everyone doing? Or rather, how is everyone feeling? Because we're talking about emotions. Emotions that are so intricately part of our lives. Emotions that makes us human beings. Emotions that have, God has wired us within to feel happy, to feel joyful, and to feel sad. So if I were to ask you this morning, what is that which wells up within you, even as you are here this morning? Because there's so many emotions within me that is welling up. Some of you know that we began this journey with FAC in winter. We were so excited, and we still are excited to be here, prepping our home to be on the market, and just two days before the house was to be listed on the market, a 30-year-old tree decides to fall from a neighbor's home onto our brand new roof, destroying certain parts of it. But thank God that my 12-year-old daughter who was sleeping at that time when the tree fell, God protected her. So I'm grateful. But it took, took four weeks to put the house on the market and we knew transition is waiting, but I never knew that transition is waiting this long. Because I've seen winter into spring, into summer, and we're at the tail of summer, and the fall is coming. Hopefully we'll have an offer soon. But in the midst of all that, we decided to take a vacation to India, my wife and I with a little one, because I had a sudden urge that I have to go and see my mom. So we had a good visit with her, came back, and then I was here three weeks ago on my way back to, uh, to Atlanta, stepped into the plane, and then I heard, my heard the news that she passed away. And it was hard. Two hours seemed like two days. Sitting bet between two women, I want to be a man and not cry, but I couldn't. There was emotions that were welling because I loved her and she loved me. She led me to the Lord. And I had this habit of, of praying with her every day around this time. I would call and she would say, Son, I just want to hear your voice. Eight years of habit is broken. And sometimes I wake up in the morning and think, I must call my mom and realize she's not there anymore. 
went back immediately the next day, and I wanted to do the, the funeral service and, uh, to honor her life, a larger-than-life kind of faith she lived. And the values that she taught me to depend on, on God every day of my life. And I cherish and live through those memories. It took a lot of courage for me to come and stand and be vulnerable before you. Because emotions, I know in a crowd like this, there are people who are going through circumstances and situations in your life. Maybe you are here, you've just done your blood test or a tissue test, and you're waiting in anxiety, in fear as to what the doctors might say. Maybe you're here and your heart is broken because you've been rejected by a spouse who decides to leave or has left. Maybe the bills are mounting and your part-time job is not enough to pay those bills and you're just wondering where the money is going to come from. Or maybe you're just like me, lost a loved one. Oh, I know at least one who is losing a loved one. And I stand with him. By the way, I want to thank you. Thank you for those, the staff who has prayed for me because that carried me through and still is carrying me through. The women at the care center, love them. The people at the food pantry, Darlene and her team. The elders who pray for us, the staff and the people on my Facebook who have been praying for me. Thank you so much. But there may be people who have lost a loved one or who have a home to sell, and you're waiting, just like us. Today may be the day of offer. Maybe you've been waiting in a season of waiting where you've been waiting and waiting for the right person to come into your life. Or maybe you've been waiting to hold that baby that all, uh, all the others, and you know the scripture, children are a heritage from the Lord, a reward from Him. Where is my reward, O God? This pain that you and I carry in this day that we are born, we are born to suffer because of sin that permeated several, several hundreds of thousands of years ago. Religions have come out because people wanted to escape suffering that people feel. The whole religion of Buddhism came because somebody wanted to escape suffering. Suffering is caused because of attachment, dukkha. And so if you detach yourself from relationships, they don't, you won't be hurt. The whole religion is in blissful ignorance as you pursue peace that only God can give. This morning, I don't know what emotions emerge within you as you listen to the words of the psalmist. Maybe it's a little anxiety for the schools to begin. Maybe happiness for moms that the children are finally starting school. Maybe a little anxiety over the college. Who's, who will be my dorm mate? A natural man would turn in those moments of pain, if they don't know where the source of strength would be, they would turn to alcohol. They would turn to drugs. They would turn to opiates that are prevalent these days to numb the pain that is within.
but a godly man. A person who trusts God will not turn to food to stuff themselves during to numb their pain. Wouldn't turn to alcohol or drugs or sex or movies or even work that's seemingly so good. But but would come before God and bear his soul before God and say, God, I need you. So it is in that context of prayer that we find these mangled emotions within us. These emotions that make us sometimes hit people and kick the dog and that has to be displaced and channeled. We find a way to manage our emotions in the presence of God where there is fullness of joy. Aren't, you, aren't, aren't we asked to pursue happiness? It's an emotion. It's in their constitution. We have been asked to follow the American dream so that we can be happy. And yet, the psalmist points us in a different direction where you can trust him in the midst of your pain, in the midst of all the, the abuse, that God will weave the experiences of your life where the expectations have brought about a gap. You can trust God and place Him in that gap. That's where the psalm David leads us as we read Psalm 139. Many scholars believe, or they don't believe that this to give a particular time when the psalm was written. But I believe the psalm was written after the days when he was discovered, when he was exposed of his sin. And suddenly he discovered that God has many eyes and he watches over him. And so he writes like this. But the truth that he placed before us is when our faith is rattled by the circumstances and situations of our lives sometimes we find ourselves in. When our faith becomes shaky, when you take the step to trust God, you're on a safe ground. You're on a solid ground. And you're even growing in your faith. You begin to grow. And that's why everything we do is to help you and me grow in our faith, that we can have a bigger faith than what we have today, that can move mountains of anxieties and fears and press through. Because that's what it takes. That's why we have small groups. That's why we have men's ministry, women's ministry. All the pastors here want to help us. That's why we gather here, not out of a religious thing, But we are gathering here to help us grow in our faith, in our relationship. This intimate psalm teaches us, as David says, you can trust him because he knows you intimately. You can trust him because he guides you powerfully with his right hand. You can trust him because he shapes shapes your personality, shapes your life experiences thoughtfully. It's put a lot of thought into your life in making you. And then he goes on to say how we can learn the habit of trusting God. So let's begin here. The first thing he says is 
You can trust God because He knows you intimately. David says He knows your deeds. Lord, You have searched me and You know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. In other words, moment by moment, God knows every move. As the song says, Sting sang that. Every move you make, every breath you take, every step you take, I'm watching you. But God is saying that He knows, He knows your deeds, everything we do, moment by moment, He knows. He knows our words, every word that proceeds from our mouth, word after word, moment after moment, He knows them, even before we could speak. In fact, He knows your thoughts. He knows the secret thoughts that we have. He even knows the intention of your thoughts. He discerns them. He discerns why you leave home to the place where you go for work and then you come back and when He discerns even you lying down, the things that weigh heavily on your heart, your anxious thoughts, why you twist and you turn, He knows them all. He says, you are familiar with all my ways, O God. But even though you know him, you know me so well, God, you don't hold it against me. That's the difference. If somebody knows everything about your life, your life is done. Several years ago, my wife's identity was stolen from the tax records, and it was a scary, scary thought. My identity was stolen from a bank record, and for seven years I had to put a block. It's a scary feeling to be violated deep inside your identity. And we have so, so much of privacy laws to protect it. And yet before God, no matter how many privacy laws you may, you may sign and feel secure, before God we are exposed, that's what David says. We are naked. In His presence, we lay bare our souls. So there is no more masking, David. No more powder puffs. No more masking creams, blemishes, warts, freckles. We bring ourselves before God, and that's why a Christian prayer is so beautiful. It's not a perfunctory statements that we make. It is not something that we display as the Pharisees did. Jesus said, go into your room and pray that God, who sees your heart, will reward you openly what you do secretly. Because He sees it all. He's not a stalker. He does it to hem us in. That's what David says. And yet, O oh God, you hem me in. Hemming. Hemming is to protect that fabric from tearing apart. That's why we hem. So that your life, when it is falling apart, he hems it in. He draws you closer and protects us. That's Hesed love that Pastor Marty talked about. Hesed love is a bonding love. You know, you can go to Walmart and buy hem these days. 
You don't have to sew, you don't need a sewing machine. You just need to buy it and then iron it. It bonds. That's the kind of love that God has. He exists in a bond of love. He created this world out of love. He created me and you out of his love. We are an expression of God's love. And to those who rejected his love, he still sent. God demonstrates his love for us through the sending of his son while we were still messed up. While we were doing our own thing, God condescends, reduces himself and comes and appears as a human being. And he gives himself so that you and I can finally, finally trust him. He's a historical figure. He's not a myth or a legend as you found in, find in Hindu and Greek and Buddhist philosophies. There are people who saw him and witnessed his life and followed him. One-twenty of them, 2.4 billion of them are following today because of they put their trust. And if you are here and if you've never placed your trust in Jesus Christ, may the Spirit of God draw you close to himself. This is an intimate psalm. You can trust him. The second thing he says, he guides you powerfully. Where can I go from your spirit? God, I've tried running away. I tried hiding, hiding my sin, the murder I committed, the adultery I've done. I tried a lot of concealing. It's not working, oh God. Oh, I don't want to suppress this guilt because it's beginning to stench, stink within. When you suppress the guilt, you end up with phobias, neurotic behaviors. That's why it needs to be dealt with. It's not behavior modification. That that's, doesn't work. It has to be cleansed, and that's why the Christian therapy is so good. That David knew, wash me, God. This is not going to go away. Wash me, God. Cleanse me from within. Purge me with a hyssop and wash me so that I shall be so clean. I want to be that to be a trustworthy person. David says, I try to run away. No, far, no matter how far you may go, no matter how fast with the wings of an eagle, if I rise up on the wings of dawn, if I settle at the far side of the sea, no matter what direction you may go, if I say, surely, okay, I can hide in the darkness, the light will become night around me, even the darkness will be light and bright. No eclipse can prevent the penetrating light of God because He is light. But even there, if I run to Antarctic, if I run to the Arctic, if I take a spacecraft and try to flee the face of the earth, there in the middle between Uranus and Saturn, God will show up. Not to hammer you, but to guide you. His right hand guides us. The right hand signifies the strength of God, the authority of God. He who created heavens and the earth, 
created you and me. And he has a destiny for us that he wants us to guide. That's why he made us unique. So he guides us. And he shows up in the midst of our pain. Jehovah Shammah, the God who is there. Jehovah Rohi, the Lord who is my shepherd. He guides me with his rod and his staff. He leads me beside green pastures and still waters where I find rest, contentment, happiness, joy. At the right hand of the Almighty God is fullness of joy and freedom. He brings us His right hand, the Hesed love of God. You know, another thing that's significant of God's hand, the right hand, is the, it's a symbol of blessing. That's how they use bless. Barak. Blessing. Impartation of good. Where there is evil, he turns it for our good, for all things work together, for those who trust him. Goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, David said. Only thing I ask you, God, anoint my head with oil. May my cup run over, surely goodness. Oh, absolutely goodness. Goodness, because he's a good God. That's why he's merciful. He's a good God. That's why he extends grace. That's why he gives, he waits in patience. It's the goodness of God all the time pursuing us. Why won't we trust him? Why won't you trust him? Yeah. He shapes you thoughtfully. It's another another reason why we can trust him. Oh, for you created my innermost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. That's why I miss her so much. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. Your eyes saw. Think about that. His eyes saw your unformed body. You were in his imagination. You were in his mind even before conception took place in your parents, in your mother's womb. He had a purpose for your life. He had placed potential within your DNA. Let's look at that. He created your soul with the capacity to feel, to, the capacity to, to, to do accountancy, to, to compute, to write codes, to draw, to paint, to sing. He, gives, he created that capacity within you, the capacity to know the right and wrong. He knits your personhood. You're a person. You're not an animal. I describe myself as a person because of relationship. I am the son of. I'm the husband of. I'm the father of. I'm the brother of. I can't describe myself by height and weight. That's only biology. It's a matter. A blob. But I describe myself as a person in relationship. He made us person because he's a person God. 
God in three persons. See why it's different from Hinduism? Because there is no attributes within their God. It's nothing. The universal spirit that some of you practice yoga here, and I'm so sad to hear that. That you would practice yoga, which is rooted in you discovering the God within you. There is no God within you. God is apart from man. You are on a journey to be nothing, while you are something that God has made. Why would you do that? There is nothing called Christian yoga. Yoga means union with the divine. And there is no divinity apart from Jesus Christ who has been revealed. If he was not revealed, we are also in darkness. Oh, getting carried away. He forms your frame. And I love my skin, the way he left me in the oven. He actually ran out of white flour, so he used whole wheat flour, and so my skin. Why are we fighting? How foolish to fight over your skin color. There is no one superior over others because God has made human beings all equal. Under the skin, we all breathe and bleed the same. So I'm asking those out there, because racism is not a political problem. It's a morality issue. I'm not here to talk about that. I'm just saying that Christianity brings, makes sense to why God made us different. Because it says that God formed one nation God formed many nations out of one nation. It says in Acts chapter 17, to an unknown God, Paul says, from one man he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined the time set for them, the exact places where they should live in Africa, in Asia, brown, black, yellow. He made that. Why? Because one day he's going to gather them before the throne and it will be the glorious moment when nations before God of all colors. How boring it would be if that was one color. God is glorified even more through your color and feel safe and secure in the skin that God has given you, in the eyes that God has given you because you are a miracle. That's what David says. The incredible body that he has made. Let me read that to you. Every second, more than 100,000 chemical reactions. It's a chemical factory inside that takes place in your brain. It has 10 billion nerve cells to record what you see and hear right now. The information comes to your brain through the miracle of your eye, which is the window of your soul, which has 100 million receptor cells in each eye. Your retina has four other layers. The system makes it equivalent of 10 billion calculations a second before an image appears to you. If not, I would be a blob. If not for those 10 billion calculations. Your tear ducts, listen to this. 
Your tear ducts supply a bacteria-fighting fluid to protect your eyes from infection. The tears that fight irritants differ to the tears of sadness, which contains 24% more protein. So actually, I can cry for my breakfast and have enough protein. Or I should partake, or I should intake more protein to, to make sure I have enough for my sadness. That's not to mention the miracle of the year and how it translates sound waves that you're listening right now into meaningful speech that it don't appear gibberish to you. Maybe with an accent. That's because you have been trained with an accent. And the sound of touch and taste and smell. Parts of your brain regulates voluntary muscle coordination and thought process. The digestion, glandular secretions, the rate at which your heart beats, your body knows how to regulate that. It speeds up your heart rate in order to meet the oxygen demand when you exercise. It slows it down when the need is met. One square inch of the skin has 625 sweat glands, 19 feet of blood vessels, and 19,000 sensory cells, all working together to keep your body temperature at 98.6 under all weather conditions. Your stomach has 35 million glands which secrete right amount of juices to allow your body to digest the food that you're going to partake in a few moments. Converted into stored energy so that for your muscles to avoid digesting your own stomach. The stomach creates a lining every three days. Amazing, isn't it? Somebody put a lot of thought into this. You have more than 200 bones, each shaped for its function, connected intricately with lubricated joints. <laughs> Some of us know that lubrication is not there. And we have to inject it in. More than 500 muscles connect to these bones, all obeying our commands from the brain. The heart muscle itself beats over 103,000 times a day, pumping your blood to a distance of 168 million miles through your body. Can you imagine? The work that our heart does. Coupled with that, your lungs automatically breathe in the right amount of life-giving oxygen, which just happens to be in right proportion in the atmosphere. 20% oxygen and 80% nitrogen. That's exactly what we need to sustain life. And it all happened by chance. No. The complexity of human cells, a single human chromosome that defines your life. A single chromosome has 20 billion bits of information. How much is that equivalent to? It's equivalent to, if there are six letters in an average word, it's about 500 million words. If there is 300 pages, uh, 300 words in a page, that's about 2 million pages in one single chromosome. That's 4,000 volumes of books. Can you imagine? And we get marvel when Apple comes out with a faster machine that can compute this and that. And yet the human brain has created it because God made, it, made him or her designed so that 
they can produce things like that. That information incredibly comes, this one that I read, from the astronomer Carl Sagan, who thinks it all happened by chance. In his book, The Dragons of Eden, Speculations on the Evolution of Human Intelligence. What's wrong with an educated mind to make such foolish conclusions? So much education and so little insight into the magnificence and the excellence and the amazing, awesome God. You can trust Him. You can trust Him because you are uniquely made. When somebody says you are short or your eyes are not big enough or small enough or they make you feel small, you can say that I am fearfully and wonderfully made by God for a purpose, for a purpose in my life. God has put a lot of thoughts into creating you, so you don't want to throw your life away. Your life matters to God. Your work matters to God because you've been created to be the best programmer, to be the best nurse, to be the best teacher, to be the most excellent in the giftings that God has wired you. Blossom. Blossom in, the, in your giftings so there'll be joy in your life, in what you do with your work and in your relationship. So let me see how, let me close here. How do we respond to such a God? David says, it begins by coming before God and saying, God, search me. That's what he says. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Know what I feel. Know what I'm going through. Bring to him, and you're calling on God and saying, God, I open my life to you. Yes, with warts, with, with blemishes, with freckles, with tainted skin, with crippled legs, whatever state I am in, with the mangled emotions, with uncontrollable feelings, I come to you, I bring them to you, and I ask you, God, I open myself. The best way to open yourself before God is to read. Read God's Word, because the Word of God is alive. Hebrews chapter 4 says, it's not like reading a book. This book is alive. Zoe, zoology, the word that has life, that brings life, that speaks. The word is not only alive, it is productive. The word energies, that which produces something out of nothing. When you are sad, it lifts you up. When you are in doubt, it gives you faith that he has never left you. When you are confused, He brings clarity. When you are without direction, He guides. Do this, do that. That's why we need to expose ourselves to God's Word. We, the second thing we've got to do to search is to chat with God. Snapchats, young people. Is somebody Snapchatting there? No, it's not true. Snapchat with God. 
It's taking capturing a moment and sharing it. It's capturing a moment and sharing it. Capture the moments of sadness and say, and I've had those moments this morning looking at her. God, Jesus, as she's telling Jesus, go and help him. My son is preaching. This is the first time in 20 years that I don't have the backing, but I'm, I thank you for backing me in prayer. Capture those moments that you feel so angry and take it to God as the psalmist did in Psalm 55. My thoughts trouble me, O God. I'm distraught at the voice of the enemy constantly saying I'm no good. At the stairs of the wicked, he's having hallucinations. My heart is in anguish within me. Terrors of death I fear. Fear and trembling have beset me. Horror has overwhelmed me. God, control these feelings. He's, he's processing them in the context of prayer. That's why Christian prayer is meaningful. It is not some chant um, that we do. It is meaningful. It is because we are talking to an intimate God who knows and yet doesn't condemn who draws us and then guides us because he shapes us. He weaves as your DNA has been woven. You are woven so beautifully, placed genetic material to become the you that only your fingerprint can be so distinguishable even to the world to separate you from me. I love me. Because God made me the way I am. You can say that I'm not tall enough. Just a joke. (laughs) But I'm fearfully and wonderfully made, designed for the purpose. And I'm having the moment of my life doing what God has made in me to do, to be a mouthpiece, to speak into your life. And I'm so grateful that God has... is, is. Chosen, as Apostle Paul said, I thank God that he counted me faithful to be of service to him. And therefore I'm perplexed. Yeah, but not, not thrown down. I'm confused, but no, I'm not abandoned. You can say that if you trust in him. Test me, he says. Test me. I trust you. Test me. I trust you. Test me, God. And this morning was a test for me. I had to push through. Every time you are under enormous emotional weariness, you have to push through that by trusting in God. There's a man who lived in Chicago several years ago, several hundreds of years ago, who built a great business on Michigan Avenue. And one day there was a fire that broke out and destroyed all his business. So he sent his family on a journey to Ireland. On the way, the ship sank and two of his daughters died. His name was Horatio Spafford. Some of you know him. His wife sent him a telegram, saved alone. Immediately as he heard that, he wanted to go and be with his wife. He took that journey in the ship that took a long, seemed to be a long, long journey. 
And as he, was, as he saw the waves, he began to write a poem, write a song that said like this, When peace like a river attendeth my all, my soul, when sorrows like seas they below roll, whatever, my Lord, thou hast caused me still to say, it is well, it is well within my soul. Can we say that? If we trust him, we can say that. In the midst of our pain, in the midst of our loss, in the midst of all the things, the barrage of things that Satan would bring against you, that people would bring against you, in the midst of that, there is a God, Jehovah Shammah, Emmanuel God who shows up, who is there with you, just as he was in the, with Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego. If we die, we die with him. You can have that confidence. Test me. I will still trust you, God. See me. I confess my offensive ways. Psalm 51 is a beautiful confession. I confess. I confess, O oh God, the offensive ways that I've been. I've been so untrustworthy to my wife and to my children, to my nation. And his prayer is through that confession, he says, Oh God, please make me trustworthy again. And that's what we want to take from this message that David, if he was alive today, he would have tell, told us that. Trust him. He can make you a trustworthy person again. How do we do that? We participate in community, and that's what I said. Every moment we form and group around, and we share. We share with one another. We confess. We learn to trust God. When we step outside and make a decision to serve people in our workplace, in our church, when we serve, we are stepping forward to trust God. When we decide to go to Africa where we've never been before with FASA, you are stepping into an unknown. You've got to put yourself so that you can thrust through and become stronger in your faith because God is going to show up. He's shaping you. So participate. Don't neglect your mini church. If you're not Sign up this fall because we need each other. We need the unique you in God's kingdom. You are the only you, the best version of what God intended you to be. Finally, he says, lead me eternally, God, to eternal ways. Lead me in the everlasting, eonios, life. Eternal, a life that goes on and on, the right kind of life. Not the life that media tells us the way we should dress and young people don't follow the media. They're always wrong. They always lead us. They may lead us to the American dream, but we will lose our family. We will lose our relationship. We will lose God. There is a right way that God has designed for us. 
It's the way of the master. It is the way of taking hand in hand with the man who walked in Galilee. His name is Jesus. You can trust him. Lead me to be more trustworthy in my home, O God. That's our prayer. Lead me to be trustworthy in my workplace. Let the people see that I'm the most trustworthy person that the employers know of. You can trust him because he is unparalleled and unprecedented. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He's the superlative of excellence. He's the sum of human greatness, if you can imagine. He's the source of divine grace. His name is the only one able to save. No pastors can save. No church can save. No prophets. Nobody can save. Only Jesus can save. His ear is open to the sinner's call. If you are here and you have not resolved spiritually, you may want to do it today. Because today is the day of salvation. Today is the day when your pain will find healing, balm of Gilead that soothes our soul. For there is no problem too big that God cannot solve. There is no storm too dark that He cannot calm. There is no mountain too tall that He cannot move. There is no sorrow too deep that he cannot soothe. If he carried the weight of the whole world, he can carry you. That's not my words. Scott Wesley Brown wrote that song. He supplies mercy for the struggling souls. He sustains the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes with the wounded and broken. He strengthens the weak and the weary. He guards and guides the wanderer. He heals the sick and cleanses the leper. He delivers the captive and defends the helpless. He binds the brokenhearted. He's for you. You can trust him. Jesus is the key to knowledge. He's the wellspring of wisdom. He's the doorway of deliverance. He's the pathway of peace, not Buddha. He's the roadway of righteousness. He's the highway of holiness. He's the gateway to glory. Jesus is enough. He's the sufficient king. He's the king of Jews, king of Israel, king of righteousness, king of ages, king of heaven, king of glory, king of kings and lord of lords. You can trust him. I wish I could accurately describe him to you, writes an anonymous writer who wrote, you think it's my words? No. He's indescribable, he's incomprehensible, he's invincible, he is irresistible. You can't outlive him, and yet you can't live without him. The Pharisees couldn't stand him, because, but they, they found they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't find fault with him, Heron could kill him, death couldn't conquer him, the grave could not hold him. My friends... He is the Alpha. He is the Omega. He is the beginning and the end. Why settle for anything else? Cheap grace. Grace is a person. Love is a person in the name of Jesus Christ. Why wouldn't you trust Him? For He is the first and the last, the God of the present, future and the past that gives me joy one day I'll see my mom who says right now Jesus help me mom I love you Jesus deep 
deeper than a mother's love is the love, oh, the love of an, oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus. He's here. I'm through, but he's not through with you. He would die. If it possible to make you trust him, he would die again. I know that. Spirit is speaking to you and if you are here and have never trusted him my friend the church cannot save you a priest cannot save you no matter how many absolutions they give there's only one person who died for your sin his name is Jesus open your life 